So they get in the car and they take this barrel to Michigan and they drop it off and they come back and he just suggests that that might in some way be helpful to your investigation. Well, he knew that that Tim's dad was listed as missing. From the Blade, this is Code 18 Unsolved, Season 1, Episode 7, The Barrel. Code 18 just references the radio code that we use when we describe a dead body. last episode that police were chasing down leads and executing search warrants at every property they could think of for signs of Alvin Darrow Jr.'s whereabouts or what may have happened to him. But each new effort seemed to leave them just as empty-handed as the first. No one could figure out how or why Alvin Hopper Darrow went missing on July 27, 2017. But then, A weird tip came in December of that year, five months after Alvin's disappearance. A man in the Wood County Jail said he believed he had information about Alvin's disappearance, and he was ready to share it. His name is Michael Johnson. Now, I spent months trying to find Michael to see if he would tell us his story, but this proved very difficult to do. Once, I thought I was close. I drove to the last listed address I could find for Michael out near Holland, and I talked to a man who said he owned the house. Former Blade photographer Andy Morrison was with me. All right, so we're in St. Alban, about to see if Michael is home. The car's in the drive. How you doing? Good. Not oh, too bad. Hello. Hi. We're here to see if Michael Johnson lives here. Um, no. There's no Michael Johnson here. No, there's not even a little bit. Uh, this house has been owned, and let's see, for the past nine, ten years, maybe. Oh, oh really? Okay. Yes. I don't. We got the wrong address then. Yeah. Uh, what are you looking for? Initially. The man made it seem like he'd never even heard Michael Johnson's name before. But after more probing, his memory returned. You know what? Give me a second. I don't know where he's living right now, but I can give you guys his contact. 419. 419. 708. Oh, 708. How long ago did he live here? Wow. Um... Say about four months, maybe five. Oh, okay. Ago, he was oh. renting it from here. Or? Yeah, okay. he had it for about I'd say seven months. Oh wow, seven eight months. Okay. The number turned out to be to the business where Michael previously worked. An employee there said he'd pass along my information if Michael came by the shop again, as he was sometimes known to do. But he never stopped by. Then the business stopped taking my calls. 
others associated with Michael told me they thought he was living in Finley now, but those tips led me to dead ends as well. I really wanted to hear Michael's first-hand account of the trip to Michigan that he told police he made with Alvin's son, Tim Darrow, on the night Alvin went missing. But in the absence of that, we have to rely on what police recall about what Michael said and where his tip led them. To set the scene, recall what we know about the timeline for Alvin's disappearance. He was hanging out with his older son Jeremy at the Lost Peninsula Marina. He drove home alone to get more supplies, where he encountered his younger son Tim about 4.30 p.m. The two fought about a stolen motorcycle being housed in Tim's garage, and then Alvin disappeared, never to be seen or heard from again. In the hours that followed, Alvin's friend Rocky Conley came to the house, but found no sign of Alvin. Police also were called to the area where they talked to Tim Darrow shortly after 7 p.m., but again, no Alvin. It appeared he'd vanished, and no one seemed to know how, until Michael Johnson's tip offered one disturbing theory. Kid said he had been uh, with Tim, and they had uh, Tim had asked him to go with him, uh, and he did. He went with Tim in a truck, and they drove up some various roads up into Michigan uh, with a barrel in the back of a pickup truck, and uh, Tim dumped the barrel, got back in the car, and they came back to Toledo. The details about this trip are pretty fuzzy. Michael can't recall the exact route they took or specific times for when any of this is occurring, but he was adamant that it happened on the night of July 27, 2017. He said Tim picked him up that night, and they drove back to Tim's house on Dean Avenue to hang out, as they often did. Right away, this is a deviation from what Tim told us in episode 5. Tim said he never returned to his house once he left following the fight with his father. Then, he said he may have returned briefly to put in an air conditioner, but he never mentions anyone else being at the house with him and says he didn't stay long. But Michael says he was there. And then, sometime while hanging out, Tim asks Michael, to go on a drive. Where does this trip to Michigan come in? Well, Michael's the one that talks about the trip to Michigan. Tim never mentions it. And what does Michael say about it? He just went with him for a ride up into Michigan and they, uh, uh, Tim took him to a, a location in a field and he uh, just deposited a barrel in this field. And Michael claims uh, they went up there, went back, and then he took, uh, Tim took Michael home. Michael estimated that Tim drove him home around 11.30 p.m. that night. What this trip means still isn't clear. 
Michael said he didn't know what was in the barrel, and he didn't touch it, not even to help Tim lift it out of the bed of the pickup truck before leaving it in the field. And though the activity was unusual, considering they didn't normally drive to Michigan and leave items in vacant fields, Michael said he didn't ask questions. Was it an implication or an actual statement that he believed Alvin might have been in that barrel? He made no statement that he thought Alvin would be in the barrel. He said he had no idea what was in, what the, was barrel, in the barrel or why they were taking or it. why they were doing it. Okay, so they get in the car and they take this barrel to Michigan and they drop it off and they come back and he just suggested that might in some way be helpful to your investigation. Well, he knew that, that Tim's dad was listed as missing. Um, so that's what he thought was going to be helpful for us. And we took it seriously. Naturally, police asked Michael where they could find this field where he and Tim left the barrel, but Michael couldn't recall. He told them it was dark and he wasn't driving, so he didn't pay attention to where they were going. He could only recall a vague description of what the place looked like. What does he say about the place in which they dropped this barrel off? Was it an open field? Was it a uh, trash pile? Right. He said, you know, it's an open field. Um, southern Michigan, just across the line. Um, there was a lone, lone tree out in the field, and they just had to drive a little bit back to the field, or to the tree. Um, he stayed in the truck, and, and they left. Um, they left the barrel at the tree. They left the barrel, and got back in the, Tim got back in the truck, and they came back to town. Detectives drove around the state line with Michael three times, trying to retrace his steps. They also made additional trips on their own. It's possible that they did search the area where Michael says he and Tim were, but police never found the barrel he says they left there. And you believe, if this story is correct, that you have found the location that uh, this person, this friend, believes they were at and nothing has been found there? Well, we found a spot that would be very close to the, all the descriptions that he's, he gave us, um, but it, there's nothing there. Now, so I, I you know, it's one of those things... Until you actually find something there, I can't say with you know one hundred percent certainty this has got to be the spot because it it's it looks like the spot and it matches the description of what he was telling us. Um, I'll say that we've searched numerous spots that that kind of fit the description: a field with a tree in it. Um, you know. It, Southern Michigan area, just above the line, there's a lot of a lot of fields. Um, so I don't know it if it was the spot he was actually at. If he was actually there, um, there's nothing there now.
To this day, no one has ever reported or found a suspicious barrel in an otherwise vacant field. And there's no clear evidence that this barrel would be connected to Alvandera's disappearance, even if it was found. In other words, police have no real evidence that Alvin's body may have been stuffed in a barrel. It's just a strange story repeated by a man who police said they interviewed previously as part of their investigation, but who never mentioned anything about this trip until he was sitting in jail on suspicion of receiving stolen property and hoped, according to Detective Goodlett, that the information may somehow benefit him. It didn't. He ultimately pleaded guilty to the charge and was sentenced to six months in jail. But... Why tell this story now? Yeah, he, he, he was incarcerated. On, he was facing some charges. He had been charged with another crime, some crimes, and thought that um, him coming forward with what he thought was good information would in some way uh, be favorable to him. Uh, and that's, you know, that's good, um, but you also have to try to determine the, the motivation of the person that's given it to you. Um, to have knowledge of someone who is either missing or dead and not divulge it until you've got yourself in a, in a situation where it's helpful to you is, you know, it's, it's kind of a bad look. Uh, but we always take, we always uh, take that information and try to follow up on it. And we did. Um, but we didn't, uh, well, obviously we didn't find Alvin uh, or any evidence um, that helped us out in where he may be. So I don't know that the person was trying to, you know, lead us in the wrong direction because that's not helpful to him in any way. But what he did tell us, we were not able to um, find anything useful no evidence at all. I tried to ask Tim Darrow about this alleged trip to Michigan with Michael Johnson, but the conversation was short. For Tim, there was nothing to tell because no such trip had occurred. He did say he drove around town that night searching for his father, but he said he was alone. And then he went to his girlfriend's house where he stayed the rest of the night. He never mentioned seeing any friends that night or going anywhere else. If someone had said that they went with you to move something heavy that night, what would you say about that story? I don't know. Would it be true? No. What did you do the night that your father went missing? Stayed at my girlfriend's house. Still, any time skeletal remains are discovered in Michigan, Alvin's family and friends hold their breath and wait for a call that he's been found. Michael Johnson's tip, 
Police returned to Tim Darrow's home on January 11, 2018, with their fifth and final search warrant. Recall, law enforcement had already searched his property twice before, along with Tim's girlfriend's home and Alvin's home once each. But what was new this time was information from Michael Johnson that he had been called to Tim's house on the night of July 27, 2017, to help Tim move a washing machine inside of the garage. The warrant reads, Michael Johnson felt that this was odd behavior as there was no valid reason for moving the washing machine. This is odd because in the story police recounted from Michael, there's no mention of a washing machine, just a barrel. And the warrant does little to clear up the confusion because it starts out saying Michael helped Tim move a washing machine, and then later says he drove with Tim to a field in southeast Michigan where Tim deposited a barrel near a tree. How the barrel is introduced is never explained. In my interview with Detective Goodlett, I was exceedingly puzzled by the various descriptions of a suspicious container being moved from Tim's house. Was it a 32-gallon black trash can? which police were looking for after it was observed in the back of Tim's pickup truck on the night his father disappeared and then never seen again? Was it a barrel, as records and Michael Johnson said? Or was it a washing machine, as the warrant says? Which object were police looking for when they went out on these searches? And Michael is very clear that it is a barrel. It is not a washing machine. It is not a trash can. It's a barrel. Yes. Barrel. But again, after their third time searching Tim's property, nothing of evidentiary value was found or seized. No washing machine, no trash can, and no barrel. Police again walked away empty-handed. I circled back to ask Jeremy Darrow what he made of all of this. In previous conversations, he had specifically mentioned the mysterious trash can disappearing from his brother's house. But he hadn't heard of any of the other versions involving a barrel or a washing machine. Neither of them stuck out to him as being familiar. Had you ever been in the garage before, Tim's garage? Yes. What was it like in there? Just a bunch of garbage. Scrapping, you know, my brother scrapped steel. He scrapped him out all, and he had, you know, a bicycle and just garbage. Did he have, like, a barrel or a washing machine? Mm, I couldn't tell you. There's one other person whose testimony seems to contradict Michael Johnson's story that Tim could have transported anything to Michigan on the night his father went missing. Tiffany Dewey, Tim's girlfriend at the time, said he stayed with her that night, and she's never mentioned him leaving for any reason. On a Facebook post three days after Alvin's disappearance, Tiffany defended Tim. She wrote, Tim and I are both praying for his return. He, Tim, was just crying to me about it last night. Just wanted to clear up the misinformation because it hurts me to see fingers pointing at Tim when he is extremely depressed about everything 
and has barely anyone in his family that is even called to check on him to see how he's doing, because he's not handling this well. Hopper was all he had left. He was hard to deal with sometimes, but never deserved something like this. And I'm really hoping they find him soon, so you guys can have some sort of relief. Praying for you all. Tiffany declined to talk to me for this podcast, but Detective Goodlett said her post on Facebook matched the statement she gave to police at the time. Tim didn't know what happened to his father. The trail went cold again. Next week, we recap everything we know about Alvandera's disappearance and the potential motives for those who may have wanted to harm him. We also talk to his family once more about who they think is responsible for his death and their hope that someone with information will step forward and finally answer their ever-lingering question. What happened to Alvin Darrow? This remains an open investigation. If you have any information about this case or any other unsolved homicides, call Toledo Crime Stoppers at 419-255-1111. Callers can remain anonymous and there may be reward money. Help put this Code 18 to rest. And help spread the word about the podcast by giving us a five-star review and recommending us to your friends. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever else you listen. You can also find the episodes and additional case information, including photos and videos, at ToledoBlade.com slash Code18. Code 18 is reported and written by me, your host, Caitlin Durbin, for The Blade. Phil Kaplan is our producer, with original art and theme music by Danielle Gamble. Additional original music provided by Joel Roberts. Editing assistance comes from Blade editors Michael Walton, Michael Bryce, and Kim Bates. Hi everyone, this is Caitlin Durbin. I'm a Blade reporter and host of this podcast. If you're enjoying it, I invite you to subscribe to The Blade and support my colleagues in the reliable journalism that makes this work possible. The Blade has been reporting on Toledo's history.